See, this is the real secret of life, to be completely engaged with the here and now. Everybody wants to fulfill the highest, truest expression of yourself. It, it, it was all a dream. Today is about the power of you. You've now entered the Human Derrick Podcast. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Human Derek Podcast. Uh, for those of you that are regular listeners, you'll know I don't do a lot of intros anymore. Haven't done them for a while. However, on today's episode, uh, well, we <laughs> we had a little bit of a, of a technological hang-up, a little technology problem, and we were recording. We were probably 30 minutes into the episode and, and everything had frozen up and uh, the backup system was not in place. Rookie mistake. And so what you might find is the conversation uh, in the beginning just sort of it just sort of rolls in. And so uh, if, if some of the stuff feels just a little bit like eh, there's a piece of context there that might be out of place, just uh, kind of roll with it. And uh, I imagine you'll enjoy some of the meteor parts also. So uh, the guest is just one of my favorite people on the planet, Mr. Kevin Orton. I have been uh, poking him and prodding him for, well, a year. This is the actual, the one-year anniversary of the podcast. And I, I want to say thank you to those of you that actually mentioned that to me. I, I had failed to even notice that, just having so much fun with what we're doing and, and what is happening and and just the really the one of the most special things is are the lives that this has touched all across the globe to hear that there are so many people in in so many countries that uh, listen you know to two people sit down and talk for for sometimes hours and you know share how you've you know thought about certain things or maybe how it's uh, helped in a certain way or just that you appreciate it that does mean a lot and appreciate each and every one of you. So today's guest, uh, Mr. Kevin Orton, this guy, I've known him for, I have now known him for, I think, well, we met in 2015. So that's that's about seven years, pretty close to, pretty close to seven years. Actually, in May of uh, this year, 2022, will have been seven years since we first spoke. And he is uh, just a, a truly great person. He leaves a wake and trail of just kindness and love and support for people everywhere he goes. And uh, they say consistency is, you know, one of the rarest traits that a human can possess. And he is consistently one of the kindest, again, most caring people that uh, you'll ever you'll ever meet. And you'll get a chance to meet him on today's podcast. So. Uh, here we go. Yeah, it's uh, it's working really good. I mean, I don't know if you can hear, but it's pretty amazing. And I sound 
like I could be recording studio artist. Possibly I should sing into this. It's so good. My voice, I mean. No, I don't think I need it louder. It's kind of blowing my eardrums out, so I might even turn it down a little bit just so I can't hear myself talk too loud. Whoops. Shit. Yeah, by the way, loud noises, you can feel them in here. Yeah, you really can. It's like right into your chest. Yeah, excellent. I hope that the sirens come by because it'll just reverberate through my soul. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think mine works too. Yep. Hello, hello. Well, hello. I feel like all the perks, the drinks, the plant-based yakety-yak food you're feeding me. I mean, why wouldn't I want to be here? AC just cranked up. You got AC? Yeah. Walking everywhere, broken foot. (laughs) It's more than funny. It could be a disaster, just so you know. Always edit. Okay. Well, yeah, that's, uh, I hope to hell you can. <laughs> so let's talk about church. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> it's called a clip. So mm-hmm. you see the, the that? Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, like a little girl. Uh, <laughs> no problem. I'm uh, good too. We just got canceled for, for making fun of little girls. You did? Oh. <laughs> that's a sad situation. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time. So uh, Yeah, uh, you're used to it. This is actually pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> I know. We're about to take off in the airplane right here. Well, let's see. We are on the on the spaceship. See how weird Excellent. we can make it. Okay. So uh, welcome. Thank you. Uh, how have you enjoyed San Diego so far? It's good. It's good. You know, I have a little injury right now, so it's not as fun as if I could walk. And um, But it's always nice to be out here in the gray weather. And you'll just want to do as best as possible. Like, you almost want to just make love to the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Because okay. if you go here... Yeah, then it doesn't work. I'll try not to go back and forth. Yeah, you can grab it, you know, play Mm -hmm. with it. You can make a little, I kind of like hold it sometimes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Okay. I don't want to look goofy, but all right. You got a little little injury? I do. I have plantar fasciitis in my left foot. I've had it in my right foot. I got it from playing years and years of racquetball. And uh, it hurts (laughs) like hell when you hike. And I do a lot of hiking in the fall, and I finally decided I'd had enough of it. And I had the surgery on my right foot years ago, and... Eventually, it healed pretty good, and it was time to get the left foot done. So it's unfortunate that I did that right before coming out here because I cannot walk. This is sort of a walking town. So coming to San Diego and seeing the 80-plus degree weather coming from the cold where I live and not being able to go outside and enjoy it is not that brilliant of a move, but it's been fun. (laughs) Made the most of it. We'll put you on one of those scooters with a seat and get you a little umbrella hat. I feel like that's my <laughs> next move. Uh, that's awesome. Well, uh, it is It is great having you out. And we've talked about this for a while, and you've done a really good job for about a year and a half. I'm Actually, avoiding you. Yeah, it's been pretty solid, so I yeah. tricked you. Super good at it. <laughs> Um, actually, someone messaged me today, and I didn't realize this. They said, happy one year on the podcast. So that was kind of cool. Amazing, yeah. I figured I would share that with you because I didn't think about it. Someone else did, and uh, you are the, the happy one-year anniversary. I'm your one-year anniversary podcaster <laughs> guest. Is that how that goes? Podcaster <laughs> guest? Yeah, sure. The podcastee. So you are, uh, you're you pretty famous for those people that, that don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, super famous. Uh, you hunt. You, um, you know what you're really famous for? At least the people that I know that know you, uh, which is a lot of people that I know, by the way. 
You're just famous for being one of the kindest and most caring people uh, who is very helpful on a consistent basis. Not like you just do it because, you know, you have to for work or something like that, but <laughs> but because you you actually genuinely care about people. Well, yeah. I mean, that's an interesting... Uh, you, you probably usually have people who have some kind of better background than just their kind to show up that would be interesting <laughs> to people. But I guess that is a feather in my cap. I, I generally and genuinely... Uh, enjoy people and I love my friendships and my family and I have always found that uh, you get farther in life by treating people kinder than you do the other way so I am glad if I really have that reputation I'm glad that's the case uh, versus maybe what the opposite is so uh, it's been good it served me well in my life yeah, is it no? Is it like one of those old Maybelline commercials where it's like maybe he's born with it? Um. <laughs> yeah, you know what? It's a good question. I, I maybe that's the case. Um, I feel like uh, you know people who kind of are have a little more empathy or uh, sometimes even called empaths that um, they have an easier time um, being sympathetic to people and kind of more caring about people. And I probably would fit in that category, but I do think it really has to do with my, the work that I've done in life, just a lot of coaching and teaching and training. And, and I, I feel like, um, you just get farther by treating people kind and also bringing out the kindness in them. And, and, uh, you know, it's actually, I think it causes people to sell more and be higher performers than the opposite of that. Sort of the, uh, you know, I don't know, bully them into success versus kind of love them to success. And that's always been sort of my my philosophy. Well, it's, and some people, yeah, there's the concept. It's really surprising how many people don't grasp that concept or they operate off of it's better to be, you know, feared uh, then how does that go? Yeah, it's just better to be feared. There's another part of that, but yeah. So they, you know, they do bully and, and they get results out of it because they just push people and push people. But it, it's a different. The love thing is really fascinating because if, if, you know, you go back Old Testament style and you get into you know God's love, that's a pretty you know I am a jealous God and and you probably could quote a lot more scripture than me. But love is something that has a lot of layers to it and also means many different things. So some people, you know, say, I love you and then act like a, a tyrant and that's how they show their love. And, and you've managed to, you know, find a more caring way of loving and leading people. Yeah, maybe so. I, I think the, the real way that it all works is because you see so many management styles, leadership styles, and people obviously thrive underneath all of those styles at a certain time, but it really amounts to consistency, right? If people know what they can expect from you, then they are able to work with you. If you are Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, and they never know what they're going to get, then it's really difficult. Those mood swings make it almost impossible for people to thrive in those environments. And um, I guess I just decided a long time ago that um, I enjoyed the side of, as I said earlier, kind of loving people to success and, uh, and pushing them with kindness rather than sort of a tyrant or, um, you know, whatever that skill set would be. And I've worked for both. And I often say that, um, you know, anyone can kind of thrive as a person working for people that they click with, 
they gel with, that they have the same kind of style. But it really takes, uh, it's much harder to work (laughs) with someone who doesn't have that style. And I often say to people, the key is to glean from these people that might be a tougher leadership uh, type of style for you, instead of constantly whining about it and griping about what's going on. And, you know, I wish it was different for you to figure out what can I learn from this person and then to excel because it's still your opportunity and there's no reason to waste it because the leader isn't exactly what you'd like to have in leadership. And as you work different jobs in your your lifetime, you certainly are going to have many different leaders in many different styles. And uh, anyway... I just don't like it when people say, well, I didn't, I didn't excel or I didn't do well because the people I worked with. Really what it's about is you and the opportunity. And when you put your best foot forward in the opportunity, you're going to do just fine. Got some technical difficulties. <laughs> and I don't know if what we were talking about is going to link up. So if you just want to give a little bit of background on what you're talking about in terms of leadership style. Yeah, so um, I would be happy to. <laughs> so one of the things that I... You know, you were talking a little bit about how my leadership style is uh, a little bit more kind of centered in love and kindness and motivating through those factors versus people or leaders who motivate or rule with an iron fist. And, you know, there are lots of leaders out there and leadership styles that are out there. And all of them seem to, at one point or another, have success or they wouldn't be leaders in the first place. So what I find is the key factor is consistency. When a leader's consistent, then their people know what to expect and they can grow in that environment. Now, it is a heck of a lot funner to work in an environment where you like the leader and you gel with them and you know you feel like they are someone that you enjoy being around. But even when they're not, but the opportunity is incredible, you can certainly learn from that. And one thing that I often tell many people is, hey, anybody really can go out and have a good experience with a leader that gels with their own style that they like, that they would be friends with. Hey man, we could go get a drink together afterwards. But it takes a real professional to figure out how to learn from those leaders that may not be someone you'd be friends with. They may not be someone who's completely motivating in terms of their style, even might be a little bit off-putting. But for you to say, that's the reason why I'm not succeeding. It's totally not true. The opportunity is still the same. There are plenty of people succeeding. And what you have to do is figure out what can I learn from this leader and how can I be motivated from them? And in my situation, uh, I'm going to take advantage of the opportunity because it's as big for me as it is for everyone else. And over your lifetime, you're just going to have several leadership styles you work with. I just happen to have fallen into the style of, uh, I like it when people like me. I do that for sure. But I also feel like I get more done that way because it just feels better for me. It's the style that I've, that I have kind of settled into. And I find that I like to love people to success more so than motivate them by ruling over them. So that's just kind of been what's been really good for me. Yeah. And that's, uh, it's pretty powerful. You know, you even think about just friendships, People, people don't even carry the same friendships over the course of their lifetime. Now, there's a lot of different reasons for that. Sometimes it's uh, they grow out of them or they grow in different directions or lose touch. Even in a very you know, technology-driven world where you can send a text message, those things just kind of die off or they, they stop happening. Um, and, and so when, it, when I think about work and just the, the decades, you know, the multiple businesses, the people that you've carried through your life you know, for all of that time, 
you've managed to maintain relationships for an entire lifetime in, in a way that uh, people are, are drawn to you sort of a, in, a, in a magnet, you know, style fashion. Is that, is it something that you've, you've worked on a lot? Has it been like that since you were a kid? It's a good question. I, I'm going to say that I've been super blessed. So first and foremost, I've come across a lot of very good people that I have uh, loved in my lifetime, and I'm super happy that they have decided to kind of uh, come along as friends. So, you know, how, how do you get here? Well, I guess I just realized a long time ago when I was fortunate enough to, uh, to start in the sales world, as I've mentioned, the Cutco world, I realized that people there were a little different than people at hourly jobs, at least for the most part. They had goals. They thought about, uh, they had dreams. They thought about big things they wanted to accomplish. They didn't sit around all day long and gripe about the fact that they'd punched a clock, couldn't wait till they got home, didn't care about how the success of the company was. They just simply had a bad attitude there. And so did I when I was working those. And this was a whole new world to me to find a place where people really were genuinely happy about where they were headed and the things they were learning. And so what I find is my soul just fit in there. And uh, so I was so I was so introverted, to be honest with you. I mean, I went on five dates in high school. I just didn't, I couldn't talk to people. I was so nervous and so scared. And even though I had friendships in high school, and by the way, I still have my high school friends. I've got some friends that I still communicate with today, 35 plus years later, that are my closest friends, because I do, I do make these kinds of connections and I just don't ever let go. So it might be a curse for those, of, those people who have to <laughs> kind of live in this this time warp with me where I'm not ever going to go away for them. Um, so maybe it was a little bit innate that way, but, but I do find um, when you kind of start hanging out with people that are the kind of people that you would let babysit your kids, they're never going away. <laughs> and so I have a lot of friendships where I don't have to talk to these people on a daily basis, sometimes not even on a yearly basis, but I know I could show up at their doorstep. They would take me in. And at the same time, I would do the same for them. And if we didn't communicate for a long time, that any time we did start again, it would be just like old times. And I, I've been really lucky that way as well. On the, at the same time, I do work hard at my friendships. I don't let people leave my life. I enjoy friendships. I really uh, count on them for a lot of uh, the motivation that I have in my life and the reason why I you know, get out of bed and work on a regular basis. <clears throat> and so... Maybe there's a little bit to that as well, but a lot of that has come through my work, um, you know, working with some amazing people over my lifetime that have inspired me, but also just because they're just good people, and I uh, usually work hard on keeping those those people around, and so now, after 35-plus years, I have a lot of friends, and uh, <laughs> I'm pretty blessed that way. I love it, yeah. Why do you think kindness and consistency are so rare? Well, I don't know if they're rare. I just think... Uh, you know, it's, it's so uh, interesting, you know, when you, th when you think about it that way. I guess it's just that people don't necessarily open their heart as much to people. They're more guarded, and especially in our world today, you know, it's, you know, online you can say whatever you want about anybody, and so if you really are genuine, then you just usually get chopped up. So especially in the last 10 or 15 years, people become a little bit less willing to share and be open and put their heart on the line that way. I just never cared about that stuff. Um, I don't have any online presence, so I don't get to see people's uh, replies. And I find that people, when you do that, they start to, uh, to change who they are, to guard against that. And um, 
You know, it reminds me of a story a long time ago. I used to have to interview people, and uh, I would do a group interview, and I had people uh, at the end of the interview, we would accept them into the job or not. <clears throat> and one time, I had had great success. In fact, I was the rookie of the year in that company. It was my second full year coming up, and a person, I took him into the office after the interview, and they sat down and simply started to berate me the style that we did, the whole process, what a joke it was. And I remember I was so concerned about that that I changed my whole interview process from being number one in, as a rookie in that company to now I'm going to take what this guy just said to me, change the whole thing because I don't want to offend people. And what I realized quickly is my business started falling uh, you know, into the basement. It wasn't any good at all. And, and that just isn't the way to run your life. What, what works and kind of being authentic is the way it should always be. And I guess there's nowadays we use the word haters. I mean, there are going to always be haters. And I just, you have to let go of that and just decide you don't care. Now, at the same time, it does help if you rule your life with kind of the, the side of love and caring, because then you know you're always going to be in the right, regardless of what's going on. You always give people the benefit of the doubt. You always see the good in people. And this really came from a long time ago as well. So um, I happened to serve a mission for the uh, LDS church a long, long time ago, went to New York City, and I had 14 different companions when I was doing that. And uh, you know, here I was, a little hick kid from central Utah, Richfield, had an accent from uh, you know central Utah. I didn't talk fast. I didn't know what I was doing, and I had to spend time with fourteen different people that I didn't know and get along with them. And what I learned quickly was every one of them had a different style in living life. And some of them I could be long term friends with. Some I couldn't. But I knew that I could get along with all of them. And I I learned that uh, some of them by you know if they got to a point where they would say maybe something a little off-putting, they really had to be ticked off. And for others, it was just a natural way. And I, I guess I say that because I learned that nobody is a dick by nature on purpose because <laughs> they hate everyone and they don't want friendships. Sometimes people have that little bit of off-putting style because it's sort of how they've learned to cope and who they are. But in the end, they're genuinely probably good people. Now, it's not 100% true. There are some people who just are dicks. But for the most part, people want friendships. They like having people around them. They like having people like them. And so I learned most of the time that if you were dealing with people, they weren't really trying to be offensive. It was just kind of their style of how they did. And you can get along with anybody, and you can thrive in that environment. And uh, that's kind of served me well in my, my lifetime, and certainly in business it has too. But, yeah, I, get, I have a lot of friends because of that too. I think that the sheer number of people you've probably spoke with in your lifetime is, has there's been a lot of experience in learning from. And I know personally yeah. from making thousands of phone calls, sitting at my desk every morning from 8.30 to 9.30, just calling random strange businesses and the all kinds of excitement that comes from the other side of the phone sometimes. And it, there was one day where just one phone call just really got me. And I had generally done a very good job of, of staying calm and responding and having a little humor and not taking it personally. And I reacted in kind of a hasty, aggressive way. And I was not proud of myself afterwards. But first I was like, oh, that was pretty funny, you know, that I did it. And then afterwards I was like, yeah, it's just not a good way to be for, for any reason. And it, I actually just sat there and thought about it, you know, five, 10 minutes and this thought popped up and I went, wow, you know, I actually really, you know, feel bad in a way for this person who that is 
how they're that's where they're at right now. They're that angry. They're that hostile. They have that much animosity towards someone that just called them over the phone and and they have to go through, you know, I, I saw that thought about their family. I'm like, that's, you know, that's someone that has a family maybe, you know, people like how hurt is that person? And that's how they want to behave. And that truly changed my perspective to where, you know, you mentioned the online thing and posting stuff. Uh, I, I post sometimes on social media, you could say, and I one morning just posted this, you know, video and I just finished a workout and I was out by the ocean. It was really early and had a little fun with it. You know, that's probably... I think there's like 6,000 views or something on it. And most people just left these really nice comments. And then one guy's like, you're a moron. You don't have to wake up at 5 a.m. to do that. And just ripped into me. And I just so wanted to say, my first reaction is like, what a jackass. And I was like, well, I feel bad if this guy's, you know, just going online to like rip on other people's, you know, joy-filled day. Like what, you know, I I feel bad for the guy. It was just, it was a mix of emotions. Well, first of all, he was a jackass because, (laughs) and there are people who are that way, but I would just say generally he probably still likes friendships and wants to be a a good person. But in that moment, you know, you have that kind of stuff happening. And by the way, I have been a jackass as well. It's not like I live every moment in this uh, kumbaya situation where I never get angry or never have bad things happen to me. But long-term, I like to rule kind of on the opposite side of that. But where you didn't go wrong is that then you didn't change your, you know, your online post to satisfy that one guy who's unhappy. And that's how, when I interviewed that guy and he, and he was so belligerent, I changed everything for him. And that made my business fall apart when what I really needed to recognize is, look, 99.9% of the people that I work with, this is just fine. It works so good. We've had great success, right? It works so good. I decided to change it. So you're going to see that kind of stuff. And now that people can do it online, you know, you get everyone's opinion all the time. And it was a simpler life when I was growing up because I didn't know what people's opinions were. So I could just (laughs) do what I wanted to do and feel good about it all the time. And especially if it was getting me success, it seemed to, to be better. But but that's the key there, right? You're going to have those kinds of things, but then you can't cater to those haters. You, yeah. ha- you have to cater. Bumper sticker time. Yeah, there you go. You got to cater <laughs> to the people that have genuinely take what you say and are really successful because of it and, and uh, improves their work situation, their life situation. And uh, you got to let the other stuff kind of roll off you, which is not always easy, but you have to do it. How do you separate facts from opinions? Well, I don't even know. Um, I just mostly have no understanding of any facts or opinions, so I don't care. So, um, you know, I guess in general, if I really, um, you know, certainly I want to be truthful in what I do and I want to be factually correct. But if I, if I think that there's something that I personally need to, to work on, then I'll go look it up and try to figure that stuff out. But in general, I don't. I don't really worry too much about facts and opinions Um, in my work life or my, uh, my personal life. I simply just, you know, exist in a, in a way that I say what I want to say and do what I want to do. And uh, I just, I'm just not bothered by what other people are thinking or are caring about. So probably not the answer that you wanted or looking for, but I just don't give a lot of thought to that kind of stuff at all. Well, I think that in and of itself is a, is a skill set. It's, it's very easy for someone to take something personally. I was having a conversation, yeah. actually, you and I were talking about this too, a particular person that, you know, took something that I shared extremely personally when I was absolutely doing my best to talk about it 
objectively, not include myself in it and not include the other person so that it wasn't a, a personal thing, that it was an overarching view of here is, you know, the process, the process that is yep. for that, you know, particular organization. And they just, they couldn't help, but, you know, they were matching my take on it from a, you know, psychology aspect is that they were looking at the standards and internalizing it and saying, I'm not doing those things and then taking it as a personal attack versus just looking at it as what it was. Yeah. And it happens more and more today because we send emails, we send text messages and people have to read their own emotion into that. They have to read their own voice inflection into it. They read it angrily. They read it happy. They do whatever. And most of the time we default to, they did that to me Mm. versus, uh, you know, let's step back a bit and figure out why this happened. And I know the situation, so I know you were trying to advance what was happening. And uh, when you guys had the conversation after and realized that what they thought you did was zero to do with what actually did happen, and of course, everything was just fine. So that's what I would tell everybody from it, you know? I mean, take a step back before you react. Uh, Calm down. Most people, like I say, are not out to sabotage your life. They're not looking to do you harm, especially people that are your friends that you work with. They have no motivation to help you be unsuccessful, to help you be unhappy. They have no motivation to manipulate you to make more money. They only have motivation (laughs) to really help you be more successful, to be more happy, and to enjoy your life more. So if you kind of always take it from that standpoint, it... uh, or at least the first look of everything you do, then it'll make you less angry and less judgmental. And of course, uh, you won't have those moments of freaking out. And then what you can do is pick up the phone and say, hey, I want to talk about something that I saw versus blasting another person right off the bat because you don't know what you're talking about. There's this strong and and more so than other because, you know, anybody can have a voice with their their pocket computer um, to prove something versus you said conversation and I'd, I think about that a lot you know hey it's just a conversation I'll share my thoughts you share your thoughts let's see what makes the most sense you know am I convicted in some things absolutely but the more open-minded you could be actually hearing someone the more you can actually shift your thinking sometimes to, to match but you have to also listen and and you know have strong emotional management in those situations you you're obviously very good at that. And you said, you know, react. I, I often think about the difference between responding and reacting. Reacting is a, you know, knee-jerk kind of a, a built-in reflex. And and some of those are really hard when they're imprinted on something. That's my word yeah. of the week, and imprinted. You know, have you found that there were times in life or just things that you used to react to that you now are more, you can give a little space and respond to a lot better? And if so, how... How did you make those changes? Yeah, text and email. I used to <laughs> quickly jump to conclusions instantly. And also, you know, even just really in uh, sometimes in just even communication, uh, the way someone says something sometimes. Uh, so what I, what I really do is I try to take a philosophy of just kind of take a step back, think a little bit more and, and uh, about what was said here, what is, what's the circumstances, and just try to... Um, you know, figure out if there's a, a what would, what's the reason behind this, and then dig in a little bit more versus just giving kind of my blasted response immediately. So um, I don't I don't really have a system or a technique there. I just it took me a while to learn that, and uh, and really more importantly to have the willpower to exercise it. 
And I have found that because of that, almost always my initial response was not correct, that the emotion I read into the text or the email was not correct, and that the reason why the person was offended was also not correct for them, and that as we had a conversation and worked together, worked through it, it actually turned out to be a really good moment for all of us. So because it's happened so much now, it's a lot easier now to do that. And, and of course, what I would really say is, um, you know, most of the motivation you try to do as a leadership is through experience. So it's not because I want to control you or I, I want a particular outcome that benefits me. Although when we're successful, we're successful together. It's because I've been there. I've done that. And it's a little bit about the same as with your kids, right? I mean, when your kids are young, you're trying to give them perspective. You're trying to help them understand, here's the path you're on. If you keep on this path, generally, this is where it ends up. And they, of course, want to uh, not believe that. But it, but that's all you're doing. You're trying to be more loving by giving them perspective and helping them make the right choices. It's the same thing in leadership. Truthfully, you have no motivation to have people not succeed. Uh, the only thing that matters is for you to um, really be um, you know, successful together. You either fail together, you're successful together. And it's part of why I've always liked what I do, because I cannot be successful if the people that I get a chance to work with are not. So that's been good, because um, then it means I have a vested interest in them as well. I have no motivation to sabotage their business or their life in any way, shape or form. And I really can kind of dig in with them and talk not only sometimes the hard conversations that they need to have, but they're always about ways to help them be better and to really be more successful at what they're doing. And sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes people are just in a frame of mind where, you know, they're, they're not willing to accept that and they don't want to put in the time or effort to do that. They want to find an opportunity that allows them to be fairly mediocre and, and feel good about themselves. And when you're working usually in a sales, a high-performance type of work, those two don't match together. So you weed those people out quickly because they're just not comfortable and they don't want to put in that effort very long for very long periods of time. So anyway, that's kind of how that process has worked out for me. Share a bit about your history and, and how you got here. Yeah, I do. I, I'd be happy to share. It's not, a, it's not an amazing story. You know, every person has kind of their, how did you get where you are today and who have you worked with and what kinds of things have shaped your life. And to be, uh, to be fair, I've lived a pretty normal life, you know, and um, I wouldn't say that I have anything that's sensational that people should write a book about or that you're going to find in a book anytime sooner. See me speaking in front of people uh, trying to uh, be a life coach or help people with those kinds of things. But to be fair, I, I worked pretty regular jobs, you know, that were hourly rate. And I remember when I was in college, I was working a job for $3.80 an hour. That was minimum wage then. Uh, after two months, I got a raise to $4 an hour. So for anyone out there, I was killing it. And then, of course, uh, I saw an ad for Cutco. That was how I saw it. And I remember, you know, the $11 to start. And I thought, well, that's better than what I'm doing. And I went in and I didn't know anything about sales. I, I had never tried it, never done it. But what I found was I fell in love with it. I loved being around the environment especially, right? Because, uh, you know, nothing against Provocraft Warehouse. I don't even know if that company's still around. But it was basically a situation where we were, you know, doing dead-end work to bide our time and pay our rent and buy a little bit of food, trying to get through school. So there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, camaraderie or friendships or feeling good about yourself. And, and in the Cutco world, it was completely different. People had goals and they were doing things that were fun. And, and I found that I, 
thrived in that environment, that I really enjoyed being around people who made me feel good, feel good about my potential. And I learned a lot about myself and uh, kind of what motivates human beings. And so I, I spent a short time there selling. And uh, I might have said this somewhere else, but I'll say it again. I'm not a great salesperson. I feel like I'm pretty good. I'm uh, probably not the best sales guy that ever lived. I'm probably not the worst sales guy that ever lived. I'm somewhere in the middle of salespeople. I can get it done. It's not my favorite, not my most motivating thing, but I have two skill sets. I follow directions and I work hard. That's it. I'm not a guy who's going to come in and reinvent your program. I'm not going to rewrite your program. I'm not going to prove you wrong by trying something different than your program. Just tell me what's worked. I'm going to do that. And I'm probably going to do it as good as anyone else, maybe better. And in fact, I'm going to work hard at it. Those two things have served me really well. And so I went into leadership pretty quickly there. And honestly, I fell in love with coaching and training and teaching people how to be successful. And it was, it was really inspiring to me to spend time with people, talking to them about how to be a better version of themselves and how to take advantage of some skill sets that many people need to learn in the process. And it was a fantastic run. And I will tell you that I might still be there today, except I made one fatal mistake. I started thinking one day, hey, I want... I want to own something. And, uh, you know, Cutco, you don't own anything. Uh, you, you work with them, and it's, a, it's really good, but you don't own a piece of the company. So I bought a company, and uh, the company cost $350,000. And so I borrowed most of that money, uh, including all the money out of my house equity and all of my credit cards and all of my savings, and I had a partner. And what we were going to do is it was basically we were a fabric, metal fabrication company. So exactly in line with what I'd been doing, right? I mean, perfectly makes sense. We're going to go out and weld together. And, uh, you know, a year and a half later, I promptly ran that into the ground and all of the money that I had tied into. It. And that was the first time that I went completely bankrupt in my life and thought, oh, my gosh, my life is over. Um, and as a result of that, I left Cutco because the stress in this other business was so much. I... I just couldn't do both at the same time. And since all my money was tied up, I thought I'm going to try and go save it over there. And it just, uh, it didn't work out. So I was lucky that as soon as that happened, I fell kind of into the furniture business. And, uh, you know, the story is kind of long, but for 10 years with a partner, I started importing furniture out of China, mostly Beijing and Shanghai. It was mostly bedroom sets, dining room sets. We sold a lot of mattresses. It was kind of before Craigslist. So it was a little harder to do it. You had to pay for advertising. You didn't get free advertising. And so it weeded out a lot of the competition. We sold out of warehouses and it was a phenomenal business. What I didn't realize is that it was tied very closely to furniture or to uh, real estate. So in 2008, when the big crash happened, well, uh, that business was uh, out of business almost overnight. In fact, it was really painful to kind of watch that go away. And I, and I remember thinking, you know, just a couple of months even, before that, this thing is going to last forever. It's the most amazing thing. It's almost like being semi-retired. I'm kind of just an order taker. I don't build the product. I don't ship the product. I don't load it. I just kind of take orders and manage kind of putting trucks together. And then I teach people how to sell. And it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. And of course, the partner that I had there is still a lifelong friend with me today. And when that kind of fell apart, it was really an odd time because it was kind of the, you know, not the great recession or uh, depression, but the great recession. And, and there was just not a lot out there, not a lot of jobs. And I felt like I could find better work, but I would have had to move from the small community in Utah. And I had kids that were just nearing the high school years. And I thought, geez, I remember how important high school was to me, how important my friendships were. 
If my parents had moved me right then, it would have been devastating to me. And I just couldn't do that to my kids. So I honestly was doing three or four little odd jobs for 500 bucks a month or a thousand bucks a month. And here before I was making a lot of money. And now I couldn't even get five jobs to add up to what my bills were. It was a really devastating time thinking, man, I don't know if I'll ever get out of this. And that was when my good friend Dave called me about Best Version Media and said, hey, I think we have something here and I'd like you to take a look at this. And I have to tell you, I was so emotionally distraught that I didn't even recognize the business at that time and how much potential it had and how good it would be for me. And uh, I remember kind of even turning him down the very first time we talked about it, saying, I don't know if it's ready for me. And of course, what I was saying (laughs) is, uh, I'm just not sure I can do it. I need a psychiatrist, maybe a a little bit of therapy here, because I cannot talk to people about how to be motivated. I can't even get out of bed right now. And my life has never been tougher in terms of finances. Luckily, I had a family that was super awesome, and you know they loved loved me through all of that, but it was still hard as a provider your whole life to kind of go through this little part. And that was the second time I was going through that, not the first time. And so it was even more difficult. But fortunately for me, he didn't go away. And he came back again and said, hey, I really think you need to take a hard look at this. And I did. And now I've been there for nine years with Best Version Media. And it is exactly the same thing where I think my skill set is. It is coaching, leading, training, teaching people about, again, how to be, and it's best version media, so, you know, best version of themselves. But that's really what it's about, helping people, uh, you know, maximize on the opportunity, not just financially, but also maximum growth in their personal life, which spills over into everything. So that's kind of been my run. And um, honestly, I'd like to retire doing this. This is, uh, this is, where I think I've found kind of what I want to do for the rest of my life. It's been super fun. I really love the people I work with. And I can tell you that when I was in the Cutco world, I developed the kinds of friendships that are lifelong friendships with people that are incredible. And those ties are really strong. And even today, all of those people, I may not have, uh, you know, the type of friendship where we're close and we live close, so we can't do things on a regular basis. But if I went to them I could pick up right where we left off. They were really deep friendships because that's just kind of what happens there. And in the last nine years, I, had, I missed that during the time that that went away through the rest of the process. And now it's back again with, uh, with what I do now. And it's been great because there's something special about working with people that you also fall in love with, you know, that you really, really care about, that are true friends. And uh, it makes the culture incredible. And that's kind of what we have now. So I'm not really back on top of the world, but I am in a really good space where I, I just feel like I've kind of found my, my niche in life or my niche in life, and it's been uh, very, very good. You know, parenting is really interesting. There's, you know, research and whoever they are, but they say that something like 70% of, you know, people in the U.S. or Western culture have, have what they would consider, you know, pretty awful parenting. And so it creates all these mental and emotional challenges in their life or social relationship challenges. And, you know, you've uh, obviously, it seems like from a, from a very young age, had a, a really good grasp on those things. I, I think one of the things I, I find really fascinating that can come from, whether it's nature, nurture, or, or whatever, because you do get a, a bad apple in a, in a good batch sometimes, or, or vice versa, a good apple in a, in a rough batch, um, is accountability. Now, do you, because there's the whole mantra of the lazy teenager, you know, and it exists in some ways and not in others. Do you feel like accountability is something that 
you, what I mean, and the reason for this is that one of the themes I'm hearing from you is that there's been this consistent, you know, how do I make this better? What can I do? What's, you know, in terms of not looking externally for the answers, but, but providing them yourself. Is that something that you've had from a very young age or do you remember a time or a period of time where it shifted? Yeah, I think I did have it at a young age. You know, I, uh, I'll just give you one quick thing. I got my Eagle Scout when I was 14 years mm. old. Now, there are people who do it way sooner than that, but I just know that it mattered to me, being competitive and caring about being successful and trying my best. It bugged me when I, when I fell short, those things. But let me also say, parenting is freaking hard. There is nothing more challenging in life, in my opinion, than trying to rear little people into being good human beings. It is super hard, and it is so heartbreaking at times. And my hat and heart go out to all parents out there because I know it's a good fight you're trying to fight. And I have seven kids, and um, you know I'd like to think that I did right by all of them, but man, I was not amazing all the time at it. I look back at some of the things that happened during my parenting years and think, oh my gosh, I'm glad no one else saw that. I botched that really badly. But I'll tell you one of the things that I... I think is, I said this earlier, it's, a, it's perspective. You know, you talk about accountability, that's exactly kind of the same, same thing. I really tried hard to give my kids a perspective about how, you know, what life was going to be about later and that they needed to choose certain things when they were younger so that the perspective that they would have and accountability that they showed would cause them to have the greatest opportunities in the future. It didn't matter to me what they ended up doing or how they ended up doing that. I just wanted them to be able to choose not have those choices made for them because they'd made bad choices earlier. So, you know, in our in the current work I'm at, we call this a little bit of professional will. I had one particular son. You know, professional will says you're you're willing to accept your successes, but you're also willing to be there and and accept the times you fail and say that was my fault. So I had a, a, as a young person one of my sons. Anytime we had a reward or an award for doing something as a family. The first in line, raising his hand, saying, I did it. It was me. I definitely deserve the award. <laughs> and of course, on the other side of that, whenever we fell short as a family, we didn't get it right, we needed a little better uh, behavior, he was the first to raise his hand and say, not me. It wasn't my job. I didn't have anything to do with that. Don't look over here. And I tried for a long time to explain to him, no human being lives on one side of that fence only that they live on both sides all the time, and that that is the struggle uh, in humanity. And uh, I just remember thinking, man, this kid is going to go nowhere if I can't help him realize that, yes, he has responsibility when we fail, and especially that he has to learn this responsibility in himself, or else he's going to be really a terrible adult. By the way, he has come a long way and uh, is married now and is just fine. But it was so insane how, uh, how tough that was to teach him that. And I would just say, uh, in general, that's kind of the same thing that we teach people in life as well, right? Um, that it's okay to be awesome. It's okay to be super successful. It's okay to be great at things. And you should pat yourself on the back and never, ever apologize for being too good at anything. That's fantastic. But you're a human being. And because you're human, you are going to fall short at times. And instead of looking around saying, well, here's the reasons why finding excuses, you look in the mirror and say, there's the reason why. It's because of me. And I will correct that behavior and do better in the future. And know that as a human being, you never overcome that. That's the struggle on a regular basis. And ultimately, that does come down to accountability for all of us. Yeah. Well, and that's 
we're in an era right now where the the church in terms of influence is, is still very strong um, and at the same time there's just the population is is so vast that you know it's not influencing I would say as many people and I don't even I won't even say the church I'll just say a, a very strong value or belief system mm-hmm. where we have a, you know a lot of people that say I'm I'm spiritual now and, and they can interpret that you know however feels great in the moment uh, <laughs> and, a, and a variety of these things. Um, and, and whatever someone's opinion is on the church, there is a really, really strong value and way of living that can come out of it. You know, when and if somebody chooses to operate under those principles, how much of an impact on your life has that had? Well, it's had a pretty big, big impact. But I will say I also have evolved, if you will, in terms of the way I feel about a church or faith or religion in general. And I'm just going to say that I believe if what you believe in causes you to be a better person, kinder to people, nicer to people, to live the golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do to you, to not want to cheat people or steal or lie to them, but actually genuinely be a good human being to them, then you're probably in a good place. And you should keep doing that because it's inspiring you to be a better father, a better husband, a better friend, a better person in humanity and society. Um, If you don't need to attend a building on a weekly basis to do that, then you're just fine. If you do need to, because that's a place you get your batteries recharged, and that kind of worship causes you then to be better on a weekly basis in terms of your interaction with human beings, then you should do that as well. So I kind of have a flowing feeling that um, anything we do that just causes us to generally treat people better and help them... uh, you know, I guess you would say in, in the workforce to help them have the best experience, but also in life, you know, you have to watch out for your family. There's always going to be times you have to choose them first, but, also, but, but just in kind of overall, your attitude is, I really love humanity, and I, I want everyone to be happy and successful in what they do, and I'm not interested in controlling or forcing people to do one way or another, and whatever people's beliefs are in the end, if it's causing them to be a better human being, they should keep doing that. That'll be good for them. <laughs> Absolutely. How do you, I mean, how do you maintain your, let's call it, you know, cool in the storm, whether it's when you got a, you know, giant buffalo you're tracking down, <laughs> a mountain goat, or just a person that is acting like a buffalo? Uh, <laughs> how, do you, how do you keep cool? Well, I don't always. I, I will admit that, you know, Many times I can tell you of experiences where my first reaction is I get that feeling in my chest like I need to to go into kill mode, right? I mean, I can't believe this is happening or whatever. But it's a little bit of what we talked about earlier, you know, taking a deep breath before I react, try not to respond immediately out of anger, to think about the situation. And um, that's probably the best technique that I have is just never, never do something quickly. Now, I'm not saying I don't do that. I am telling you things I try to practice all the time, but I have road rage, man. I cannot stand the way people drive. They drive me nuts. And I don't care what state I'm in. People all the time say, well, people in blank drive bad. You know what? People drive bad. Terrible. Everywhere. They're not paying attention. And these days they're on their phone nine times out of 10. When I pass them, I look over and they're like, they don't even care. They don't want to even hide it. I mean, I use my phone in the car once in a while, which I shouldn't. But at least when people pass me, I put it down because I know they're going to look and see and I'm going to say, they're going to go, that jackass is on his phone and that's why that happened, why he swerved into my lane. Anyway, so there you go. I do get angry. 
<laughs> and I do have to kind of step back from those uh, kinds of things. But that's, that's um, you, you're just not going to live a life where you're never going to get set off. You're never going to have your emotions kind of go out of check. And quite honestly, if you do that, then probably you're not going to live your best life either because things, some things should make you mad. Some things should make you mad enough to cause change in your life. And those are always good things. But for you to make others feel bad at your expense of feeling happy, then you're doing it wrong. So that's kind of the way I look at it. And that anger, when it builds up too, it's, you know, you can put it a few different places. You can channel it outwards and say, it's the world's fault that I'm, I'm struggling right now. Or you can channel it at yourself to cause that change or have a, a more healthy outlet, like maybe, you know, punch in a punching bag or yeah, something. Or like a workout. That. It's funny too, even hearing your angry voice, that jackass, switching <laughs> lanes, it still doesn't sound that angry, which is the funny <laughs> part. It still sounds like you want to give the guy a hug as he's cutting you off. Well, he probably's having a bad day as well. And by the way, I've cut people off. I mean, you know, you drive your whole life, you're going to have a bad moment. And uh, sometimes I try to remind myself, if I knew that guy did that all day, every day, I would want to run him off the road right now and ask him never to drive again. But my guess is that probably hasn't happened in years and what just happened, but I, it happened to me. And so, you know, I don't know, sounds dumb, but that's why I, I try not to kind of jump to conclusions. And I know I'm going to have those moments in my life too. Um, but yeah, it's just about, uh, you know, trying to live your, your best life, be as good as you can to people. And, and ultimately what I don't want to do is just have bad days because other people cause that to happen in me. I want to be able to be in control and, and enjoy what I do because I'm in control of that and not, uh, you know, be so cranky about stuff that I just can't even any more longer. I can't any longer enjoy my existence, which people get there all the time. And mm-hmm. it's such a sad thing to see. And what they need is more, you know, coaching and love and happiness, uh, in their life. <laughs> <laughs> that helps too. That is very true. What are you doing on your phone while you're driving? There could be nothing. Yeah. Good question. Important. There is nothing, nothing good about it. You should not be on your phone. Uh, sometimes you get a phone call and you're just trying to answer it. Right. Uh, so I've, I, you know, I've switched to all, uh, hands-free so that I just have, but you still have to reach over and touch a button on your screen or touch something on there. That's, it can't be a thousand percent hands-free. So that's what it is. And, uh, it's not, it's not a good practice. You know, we've now got mobile offices all over the place. Everyone has their phone in their car. Sometimes you're using GPS. Uh, you know, when you're using GPS, you're still trying to figure out what it's saying. You have to look at it instead of look forward. I mean, it's all treachery out there. <laughs> treachery it is. <laughs> uh, how long have you been hunting? Well, it's, Good question. A long time. So I grew up in a family that hunted. And because I grew up with a family that hunted, I picked that up from my father. And I found um, not only did I enjoy being out in the mountains in the woods, but I loved hanging out with my dad. It was a, a great time. We, we did a lot of fishing after he got home from work. We used to pop in the old eight track uh, cassette. We would listen to Charlie Pride and Waylon Jennings and, uh, and Willie Nelson and all the old school, uh, you know, Dolly Parton and stuff like that, some of the best times of my life. And then as I got older and you get to a certain age and you start to shoot a little bit, and I live in a, you know, pretty rural country place in Utah, so it allowed us to do that. And, and um, I just found also that the, the meat that's available for that is just so good for you that, you know, I fell in love with kind of eating wild game as well. And then as I got older, unfortunately, it became sort of a rich man's sport. Uh, And even sometimes an ultra rich man's sport. 
but um, I was fortunate enough to be able to to you know play the game in terms of uh, applying for tags, but also be able to afford some of that. And so yeah, I traveled the world a little bit, um, spending some time in the mountains, and I just felt really alive. And it's um, it's just been a whole lot of fun for me to do that. I realize not everyone thinks it's cool. Not everyone likes to do it. I don't share it a lot because, um, again, people are so judgmental and they're so uptight about everything that, you know, everyone's pissed about something. And so I try not to be much controversial, but the truth is almost every dollar that goes towards wildlife management comes from hunters because everyone who is anti to that spends zero dollars in it. And it just, if you just took a little bit of time to explore what's going on there, I, I want them to stay on the earth. I want these animals to be around. If they have no value, then society just kills them off and they're no longer around. So part of that, I believe that I'm doing my, my part there, but it's a pretty uh, exciting experience to go try to outsmart these uh, critters with a bow and arrow or other things that are out there. And, and um, it's physically demanding and so it causes me to have to stay somewhat in shape. You know, last year when you and I got a chance to go hunting mountain goat in Colorado and we were hiking 14,000 foot peaks and I was going to just puke uh, because it was uh, just air sickness. I don't even have enough air to breathe, let alone hike my pack around and carry everything. Those kinds of experiences, they never leave you. They're uh, the kinds of things that... Um, they just kind of fuel your soul for me, and they make it so that uh, I then can go to work and continue to try to live uh, that motivational life and helping other people. So that's kind of how I've always refueled my my life, and it's been good for me. Just the sheer, you made me think of laying in the tent at night at however many thousands of feet we're at, and my body waking up going, hey, you're not breathing, you need more, and I'm like, I'm just trying to sleep. Yeah, we were at 11,500 feet, and I, you live right here at sea level. I live at 2,800 feet, and so just being at 11,500 feet, it's already the air is really thin. Taking steps is already labored, and you just don't have enough time in your life to go get used to it. You just can go there for the few days you have, and it was challenging. That was the hardest hiking I've ever done. I, in fact, I think we hiked 30 miles in four days and uh, walked about... Uh, a total of 11,000 feet or so in elevation up and down, and and uh, it was brutal. But it was a pretty neat experience once it was done. It was really hard to live it, though. I, I mean, when I came back, I just felt like a machine at the gym. Yeah. I just had this extra layer of juice. What, what you're talking about with the controversy is really fascinating. I, you know, living here in San Diego, it's fair to say that if I just talk to 100 people randomly, they're going to have a bunch of vegans, vegetarian, killing animals, bad. Some of my closest friends, very vegan, don't yeah. believe in. So we, we talk about these things a lot. I do have a little bit of a mischievous streak where I will post an Instagram story or something mm-hmm. like that, and I'll tag, you know, hash, hashtag veganism, and it'll be a monkey eating another monkey or yeah. just some violent act in nature, which I'm, I'm you know, that's probably, probably not do that. But <laughs> when you... When you look at nature, you know, animals are, are, nature's pretty brutal. We, I heard this once upon a time, I don't know where I got it from a few years ago, but, you know, oh, ve- you know, there was a comedian probably joking about vegans that love to go hiking. And the guy was like, yeah, well, you love to go hiking because we killed the animals in the area that you go hiking. Because if they were there, you wouldn't enjoy it so much. <laughs> you would need your sword or, you know, whatever. And so one of the, the, you know, popular conversations in my, friend group right now in terms of the pro vegan don't kill animals plant more plants 
is that uh, the way agriculture would have to go to feed people is you would need to actually remove a lot of animals or continue to what they call as a monocrop agriculture, things mm-hmm. like that, where you're, you're actually eliminating animals, insects, all these things that you need for the environment by just trying to have enough space to grow purely plants to feed people. Whereas with animals like that buffalo meat, I mean, you eat you know, one of those buffalo burgers straight off the the animal, you don't, I don't feel like I need a lot of food. I'm, I'm more fulfilled uh, in terms of nutrients. My body's happier. And I know that's different for a lot of people, but the it's just a, it seems like right now there is no right or wrong or my take on it. And that whether somebody's arguing for or against something, there are so many factors. There isn't one absolute answer. I would just say, first of all, that... Uh, nature is super cruel, <laughs> and um, it's uh, it's insane what happens out there in terms of animals doing other things to animals. That is not the reason to hunt. <laughs> that is not the reason to feel like you don't want to hunt. It really plays zero role in the hunting world. Uh, but it is true. It's insanely cruel, and most people would just ball their eyes out to watch how animals you know, dispatch of other animals and the life that they have to live and what, what goes on there. Having said that, I want you to know that people who are plant-based and more into cult agriculture and crops, we need them. Because if everyone hunted, then it wouldn't work. And if everyone just planted seeds, then it wouldn't work either because the animals would be unchecked and then start to starve to death because we have encroached on with their grounds, their breeding grounds, their winter grounds. And I realize out here kind of in San Diego where you are, you're insulated from that because you don't see this stuff. But I drive around and see it all the time because I live in a mountainous area where those animals exist all the time. So I just kind of feel like we can all coexist. And if you really would just take the time to do a little bit of study and to realize that if you really care about animals, it takes money. And the people who are pumping that money in are those people who are in the hunting world. And that's where true conservation comes from, and no one will ever convince me of that. So I'm going to say something that I know is going to be controversial. I hope you'll cut it out. So <laughs> We don't do that. Here. You can just look at, uh, <laughs> look at the wolf situation in Yellowstone. So, okay, they let wolves go in Yellowstone. So an apex predator in an area where they haven't had that apex predator forever. It's like putting a, a velociraptor in downtown San Diego, right? I mean, eventually people will figure it out. There's going to be a whole lot of dead ones before you figure out how to hide right, before you figure out how to get away. And, you know, all the things. They hunt in packs. They don't kill just for food. uh, And being an apex predator, they did some damage. So if you want to go today to Yellowstone and look at animals, you can find them. But can you find it as easy as it was 15 years ago? Not even close. If you want to go to Yellowstone and see more flora and fauna... There's way more today. You know why? Because we killed all the animals. So because they're not there, then there's more flora and fauna, the rivers are running nicer, all that kind of stuff. So it's a trade-off, right? Mm-hmm. So then I would say to you, well, you can look at humanity. If we kill all of, all of everyone on earth, then the flora and fauna will thrive. But we have humanity that needs to live here too. And so when you take care of humanity, you got to have an ebb and flow of both things. And in that world, if you don't like it, you don't have to be involved in it. But it's super naive to just hate for the sake of hating. 
So there you go. And I, again, don't care what other people think <laughs> because I'm going to live this one life I have to the best that I can. And uh, I love the taste of wild game. <laughs> you do. Thanks for getting yeah, on it. Yeah, super good. It is. Uh, I feel like there's something about those buffalo burgers. You would make the buffalo meat where you just feel supercharged afterwards. Yeah. And, uh, and there are people, sadly, that are in such a dark place where, where they actually believe that eliminating humans is better for Mother Earth and that they should do that. Yeah, I, I just, I don't know how you can believe in a higher being and actually feel that way. I'm sure, I guess you can, but I think that there's a purpose to having human beings on the Earth. It's not happenstance. It's also a purpose to having animals. They do coexist. Nowadays, they all have to be managed to a certain extent. That's why we all have rules and laws and regulations. By the way... Not for nothing, that was one of the coolest experiences as well. When we got lucky enough to get a tag for buffalo, an animal that very few people in their lifetime will hunt free range. There's very few. And to think about how society lived when the buffalo roamed crazy and how much they meant to people, and, and you can't get a tag for them. When they're on the, on the ground, they're 2,000 pounds. So even just to field dress the animal is a feat in itself and uh, be able to take the meat and put it in a place where you can pack it out. And I know you remember just how brutal <laughs> that two-mile hike was out of there. It makes the, t- the meat taste better. And at the same time, it was gone in less than a year. We don't have any of that left. You'd think it might last for a long time, but it's so good. And it's so <laughs> healthy. And it was super delicious. And that bull was a 10-year-old rank bull that no longer was in the breeding herd. Uh, was doing nothing but causing issues. And, and you know, that's, uh, that's the kind of bull when you're doing management right that you want to take out of the, out of the gene pool because it's no longer a part of that. And all they do is, is cause destruction. And by the way, that bull was not living a super happy life. He had 100 puncture wounds in his skin. He had an abscess under his eye. He had maggots growing in parts of his body where he'd had previous, it looked like a grizzly bear, ride him for two weeks and just tear his skin off because that's kind of the life that animals live sometimes. And, and I kind of think he's happy <laughs> that he's no longer having to put up with all that stuff and that his body was used for good use. So I realize that not everyone's going to believe or, or agree with the way that I feel about that, but I don't waste it. Um, I, uh, I think that they're here for a purpose, and it's one of the things that I, like I say, have fallen in love with doing. But I also feel like I've hunted for a lifetime, you know, Derek. So if I stopped tomorrow, I could do that. I'd be completely satisfied with what's happened for me. I won't stop eating meat though. And on the other side of that, where meat comes from that I buy in the grocery store is not nearly as exciting to me as where it is. And by the way, those animals don't just die, right? I mean, if you want to really talk about gruesomeness, go look at the slaughterhouses. And I know vegans would say, yeah, I hate that too. Mm -hmm. I get it. But there is the human population here and uh we gotta live well i'm very sold on the idea of not getting meat at the grocery store yeah. and getting out in the wild even though it is every time i've gone with you it's been a crazy well those are two times i guess but they've both been nuts yeah super in crazy terms of the trip and just to clarify earlier because you were talking about the wolves in yellowstone and you you mentioned that you know you see less animals now than you did 15 years ago but you do see a lot more just plants, flowers, you know, flora. And that is just to clarify, because the wolves have been reintroduced and they killed off the other animals who were managing 
uh, yeah, they would, the environment. they would beat up the flora and fauna, not only eat it, but run through it and, you know, make the riverbanks less, uh, you know, secure because they're constantly there trying to get. So, you know, I know there was a video put out about, hey, what a wonderful thing it's been for, for that. And to me, it's all just propaganda, you know, for people who want wolves reinduced, um, reintroduced. What I would like is just honesty. Can't we just say it like it is? Why do we always have to give some kind of sales pitch and hide the truth behind what's going on? So I personally would rather see more animals there. It was super cool to be able to drive through there. And it's not that it's not anymore. If you haven't been, you should go. But to think that the reason why that Yellowstone is a better place today is because wolves have been introduced, to me it's completely 10 times worse. It was so much more cool to go see all the animals in their environment, what was going on there, and how how life was then, than to go look at flowers. So that's just kind of how I feel. Well, and it's interesting now, you know, when you say propaganda, it made me think of The Lion King. Yeah. So The Lion King is a kid, you know, watching that movie, it's the circle of life. Like, this eats that, this dies, it's just the natural circle of life. Now, you know, I haven't watched a lot of Disney movies lately, but I know the messaging just from, from grabbing headlines, like when they kicked the lady Gina Carano or something off of mm-hmm. the Mandalorian for her opinion, just the the amount of messaging and influence now in movies. Whereas, you know, at my, you know, my upbringing, I got to learn that from the Lion King, a circle of life. This is just a very natural process of things. I, I couldn't imagine them doing that because it would, you know, hurt the feelings of so many people. They yeah. they have to cater to that. They don't have to, but they choose. But they do. Yeah, yeah. It's lame that we can't have an opinion. Um, and of course, the problem is, as you asked earlier about facts and opinion, and lots of times the people who get to decide that they're now deciding what's facts, and their opinions become the fact. So if your opinions don't line up, you're not being factual, and they're the ones who've written the facts. It's like the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life, and that's another reason why I hate social media. Because it is a cesspool of ridiculous information that is designed to help people think a particular way that somebody else wants them to think, and not a place of true debate, discussion, and learning. And that's unfortunate. It is, in a, in a sense of, of uh, when you look at biases, there's you know these cognitive biases, things that we we have to be very aware of to manage against. We don't, we don't have to, but we get to if we want to live a better, you know, happier life. And there's the uh, the one of uh, the confirmation bias where we just look for things that agree with us so that we can amplify that. And that yeah. is easier than ever. And totally easy. You can find, some, it, no matter what your belief is, somebody's written a paper, somebody who's a so-called expert has agreed with you, somebody has the facts, I mean, it's a little bit why it's so difficult even in our own politics. It doesn't matter what someone says. There's a group who did a study, and it proved them right. Then the next person stands up and says the exact opposite thing and shows you a group who did a study and shows that they're right. It's like you can't even know what to believe anymore. So it's just become so uh, polluted uh, that it's just a cesspool of ridiculousness and it's depressing to have to even deal with it. So most of us just say, well, then I'm not going to watch it at all because I don't care anymore. I don't know who to believe. Um, I think it's all somehow propaganda, someone trying to help me think a way they want me to think. And no one ever gives two sides to an argument anymore. I mean, why can't we just have a debate about this thing in politics? And sorry, I just switched the topic here, but (laughs) okay. Lowering taxes is better for the economy. How? What does it do? What does it stimulate? What programs come of it? 
Who does it help? How economically does it work? What experts have to say about it? Okay, raising taxes is better for the economy. Really? How? How, what does it do? How does it help? How does it get stuff done? What's better because of it? No one can talk about that at all because they don't want to talk about topics. They just constantly are bloviating and talking about nothing drives me nuts. So I just wish we just could have a little bit more real debate, real debate in life without people's feelings getting hurt all the time. You know, if I have an opinion, it's not because I want to hurt your feelings about it. This, my opinion is shaped by the facts that I think I've read, and I'd love to be able to have a real debate about it to hear. But halfway through any debate today, people start throwing their pens and pencils and calling each other names. And, you know, now debates start kind of like, you know, all right, Derek, I just want you to know that here's my opinion. Anyone who thinks differently is a total moron, idiot, uneducated jerk off, but I'd really like to know how you feel. I mean, who wants to debate you if you start every conversation like, unless you believe what I believe, you're a real idiot and a moron. Gosh, you can't even have a conversation anymore. It's so stupid. Turns out I've been doing it wrong. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, there's a, um, there's a book I've, I've been reading called The Laws of Human Nature by Robert Greene. Super good book. There was a part where I almost stopped reading it because it felt like he was talking about manipulating people a lot, and I, I didn't want to you know, think or get too deep into that. How are we doing on time, by the way? Great. Good? Okay. Um, but uh, there was a whole section in there about uh, China and something from you know, decades ago and, and the rise of well, a while ago, but the rise of uh, Mao. And, and how that happened. And so it made me just purchase, just listening to that. I wanted to dig into that story deeper. Um, and it's called, I think it's called Raised in Red or Born in Red. I, I just ordered it and I'm really excited to read it because it ties into a lot of these other things that I've been you know, reading about or thinking about. And the, the, the factor, at least from what I'm gathering, is that what's happening right now isn't really new. It's the, the new part is that we, we know about it. Well, because it's everywhere, <laughs> yeah. because, of, because of social media, because of technology. In the past, it just happened in a more localized area. And this particular story is talking about a school and, you know, the rise of, of communism and, and the cultural revolution. And and so you'd even have it to let's just imagine a, a scenario right now where, let's say, the, the far left, you know, had some sort of a revolt and took over the White House because uh, that's essentially what was happening there. If you look at this kind of the political leanings and uh, but then because of the way the message was sent out, even within those that, you know, the, the left, in this case, political system, they had factions within there, too, that started battling and, and they were really promoting it through kids. And they started telling kids tell, you know, challenge the adults in your life, we need to figure out who these uh, folks were that are that are anti the cultural revolution. And so that got magnified to the point where you actually had people that were even in that political party um, being targeted by kids. And it got so extreme, it almost reminded me of the uh, uh, the island with the with the kid named Piggy in there. I, I don't know. Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies. Thank you. Yes, that. So, it. I mean, it was a real version of that to where these kids were given authority to torture adults. And it really made me think about some of my friends in particular that, you know, from college or college professors or people that are, you know, uh, labeling themselves intellectuals, but are, are so stuck to an ideology that conversation is really challenging. So there's a lot of uh, offensive aggression. And it's, it's fascinating to me 
for a lot of reasons, obviously, but for that in particular, that reason of the, the, the black and white part of it at the end was that even these people who were of the same ideology originally got to the point where it was so emotionally driven to, you know, grab power for their thought process that it just, it was a, it was a, I mean, it was really awful. And we're, we're there now just in a different way. Yeah, we are. And you said the right word, it's power, right? That's what's kind of driving everything now. It's not common sense. It's maybe not even money as much as it used to be. It's now just power, having power, being in control, being able to set the narrative. That's where we're at. And that's what's killing debate. Um, I actually, I really am sad about this because I really like healthy debate. I like hearing other people's opinions. I like knowing why they feel the way they feel. I think it's really interesting to be able to have a good quality conversation with someone who thinks completely the opposite of myself. I find today, though, when I find someone that way, I can't get, you know, five minutes into the conversation without offense happening. And then it becomes name-calling. Now, not so much in my personal experience. You know, I don't really have a lot of conversations where people start calling me names or whatever. But, but I mean, on, online and on TV, we see this all the time. And I just think that's where you kill good ideas. You, uh, you no longer are going to grow as, as a group. Um, you're going to be stuck in these ways of the people who have all the power. They decide the thought process. That's really a sad place to be, and it's really where we're at now. And I hate it. So I don't like either side. I don't like the fact that we have sides. I just wish we could be one group trying to live the best you know, America we can. And we just are so past, so far away from that, that there's a lot of hopelessness for me. Because I'm getting older now. You know, I'm 54, and I just think, oh, in my lifetime, this is never going to get fixed. And I'm at a point where... I also feel like I've just got to, I want to stop caring. I know I shouldn't, but I want to stop caring because it's really a problem that my kids, my grandkids are really going to have to solve because I don't, there's not enough time left for me. And if I spend all my day crying and whining and worrying, I can't even function anymore. So I don't even have TV right now. I mean, as sad as it is, I don't know what's going on. And I got to tell you, it feels so much better than it did when every day I would turn on the news and listen to more bad news because it's all we hear. So, yeah, I even I haven't been reading that much because I I just find not in terms of the books that you just talked about in history, because I I do find that stuff is repeating itself. And um, it just reminds me of all the atrocities that people commit on each other and how terrible they are to each other. It's just a pretty sad situation. So I don't know what the solution is, but I, I hope that somehow, some way we can correct this ship and that people will, um, the people in power will finally come to the realization that having, having good ideas and good debate about those ideas is a much better solution and, uh, and, and doing what the majority wants to do instead of pandering to uh, a lot of little fringe groups that are out there and then, you know, crapping on everybody else is just not the way to go. So I don't see it happening anytime soon. So I'm kind of unengaged right now. And uh, I'm, I'm bummed about that. I wish we could have real debate. It'd be cool. Because I really would. The question I just asked you, I'm legitimately, legitimately would like to have someone tell me that. I haven't seen in the last three presidential debates someone say 
Tell me why raising taxes is better. Tell me why lowering taxes is better. No one talks about the issues. They talk about their feelings, and I hate it. And when, when there is any kind of mention of it, it's a, it's a response with an yeah. attack. It becomes the, serious attack. Name calling, you know, how dare you, you know, you can't even, and now we throw around terms all the time. You get labeled instantly. If you have any kind of thought, if you want to talk about anything, open debate. So it's kind of a bummer. And, you know, having seven kids, I feel, I feel bad for them. You know, um, you know that I have five kids that are adopted. One is from Ethiopia, uh, one is from Twin Falls, one's from California, one's from uh, a couple from Utah, and uh, all kinds of ethnicities and backgrounds, and, and uh, it's a very eclectic group of pretty awesome <laughs> people. Um, and it's hard because all of them and their opinions are being formulated today by social media, and I just think, wow, how difficult it is to navigate today's world if you grow up in social media it is really tough to be a kid today if you have social media and you almost can't exist without it. I mean, if you were a parent and you wanted your kids not to be online, well, guess what? Then they can't do their schoolwork because now everything they do after they come home is all online. I remember I had to use an encyclopedia. I had to write stuff down. If you don't have a computer and don't let your kids online, they can't do their homework anymore. So we teach them to get used to doing everything that way, which means they're then going to be able to be influenced through it. And the influence on there is not always the best. Um, you, you can't control it. So it's a tangled web we weave these days. Yeah, I've, I've tried to learn, because I fought it so hard at first, I've tried to learn how to live you know, with it in a healthy way. I mean, you've, you've seen a bit about how I live. And, and Derek, how do we watch March Madness? Uh, I don't have cable, or <laughs> I don't know, we'll have to figure this out. And so we're turning you know, my phone off as best I can at certain times. And even I find the earlier the better sometimes, you know, yeah. just for, for mental space. Uh, what, what history says, like you said, you know, I talked about history and repeating itself. I've, I've had this sort of repeating thing in my mind that uh, even if history doesn't repeat itself, it, it definitely seems like it rhymes. And so anytime, according at least what I've read or seen, is in the last 500, 600 years, maybe, maybe even as far out as 700, I'm, I'm not, I don't have all the dates memorized, when a particular culture or empire or... Uh, you know, state, all these country, uh, in essence, uh, an organized group of people has got to a point like this, a few different things have happened. Um, either a global conflict, when you look at, you know, like World War One, what they, uh, what happened there, or World War II. Um, but ne- the, there's a few pieces of that. Like after World War One, that generation is called the greatest generation. Mm-hmm. Yes. They went through really, really hard times together and came out going, hey, we should treat each other a little nicer. We should listen a little better. We should have better conversations. Um, it's happened in a lot of other places too, but sometimes there's a cultural revolution, uh, like I was just talking about in, in China, um, and that can also that can end up being a very violent revolution. So there's violent or nonviolent internal revolution. Uh, revolution. We, you know, we had the Civil War in the U.S., and people think something like that can never happen again. But when you keep allowing for these extremes, it, it is possible. You know, is it yeah. is it probable? Maybe not, but is it possible? It, it certainly can be. So at least from what I've seen in the last, you know, studying these history, there's this really great book called Lessons in History. And actually all of those are sort of portions of it, you know, Caesar and Christ and uh, all these different eras of time. And it seems like it's only adjusted at least that 500, 600 year span when there has been large violent conflict for most often short periods of time, so usually for not period of time, and then kind of a correction. I mean, do you think there's 
a different way to do that? Well, I'd like to think there's a different way to do it because if there isn't, then it means that eventually we have to have that again in our country, which is a really sad thing to think about. And again, a sad thing to think about for your kids and your grandkids and whenever that process might happen. It can only happen, though, if people are willing to talk without getting offended. (laughs) You have to be able to talk about your ideas and actually put them on the board and brainstorm together about why you think they would be a good idea. And you have to be able to use history and experts to do this kind of stuff. But if you, <laughs> if you don't put those things in front of you, then, then there is no open debate and dialogue. And so then you're just simply left to, the only way I get your attention was to shoot you. And that's horrible. You know, it just is not a, not a way to go. And I'd like to think we are kind of evolved to a point where, you know, I mean, if, uh, I don't if you believe in Christ or don't believe in Christ, I mean, if he were here today, we wouldn't crucify him, regardless of what he said, <laughs> you know. So we have evolved. We don't treat people quite as bad as we did, you know, in, the, in Roman emperor times. In the U.S., by the way, not in the U.S. In yeah, you're you're 100 right. I mean, and we're we're super, super insulated and lucky that way in terms of here, because there are places in the in the world where people are just it's egregious that people do that to each other. That's why I said, I mean, human beings are the most cruel animal in the history of of anything. Um, so you know, the question I. I would say I really hope that we can come to terms with getting back to the idea what's best for all of us collectively is, again, more kindness. You know, it's more acceptance of what uh, people's ideas are and helping them achieve the best life that they can. Less manipulation, less let me take all your money so I can do it, spend it on the things I think personally are important, and more why don't you you know, live your best life and spend your money on things that are important for you and your family, I guess, uh, would be the way that I hope we get back to. But I do think the only way that happens is if we can start to have debate again and not get offended by it, that you can actually talk about real issues. And, and, uh, that would be a really cool place if we can get there. I'm offended by your opinion about this healthy debate. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Isn't it funny? I'm sure people who listen to this are going, this guy's an idiot. He wants people to be able to say their ideas and no one get angry about it. Like, I know, I want to I hear your idea and instantly torch you up. There are people I who get are taught it. that anger is the way to make change. Yeah. And that's and, a belief and system. I, I guess, you know, if you can't, if you literally, no one will listen to you when you're nice, right? But I haven't found that to be the case. I have found that anyone that you sit down, even people that you don't have any kind of association with at all, if you're willing to sit down and just have a solid conversation almost always, it's amicable and uh, you can get so much more done than a source of animosity. So I don't know if we can get there. I certainly hope for our sake that we do. And I do think, uh, you know, we as a country kind of owe it to the rest of the world to be the leader in, in, in that kindness side of the world, right? Humanity. Uh, And hopefully we can spread that uh, to others who are not doing such a good job of it. One of the things you're really great at is, uh, you know, praising someone, but not in just being, you know, trying to flatter them, make them feel good. It's, it's very real and authentic and genuine when you do it. And, And one of the things about humans that makes us, you know, a bit maybe unique from the rest of the animal kingdom is uh, one of our drivers is significance. And and each person has a different, you know, level of of importance to them. Some people want to feel more significant than others. But, you know, you're talking about anger and and I'm thinking about that. Um, Some people, they get so little attention or praise or or other ways 
that helps them feel significant that I find if you were to create a lot of anger, animosity, negative emotion, it can drive attention, which someone might not even realize, but that's reinforcing they feel significant. Now someone's paying attention to them. And that, yeah. that's sad too. It goes back to the, you know, whether it's parenting or just a, a certain, you know, traumatic event that happened. And there, it seems like there's a, a lot of that happening right now. Yeah, I, uh, I would say for me, it's one simple thing, and that is I know what I'm motivated by. And I'm not motivated by someone telling me all the things I'm not doing right. And if I don't get it right, I'm going to have this and ABC is the consequence. And then that pressure that's put on you and just all of a sudden you can't sleep and the anxiety and the feelings of those. I'm much more likely to respond when people point out the things that I am doing right. And then here's some points of places we can work on it. Here's some ideas that I think we can do to make that happen. So I kind of come from that angle as well. And I just find because it motivates me, uh, I think everyone innately is motivated by knowing where they're amazing. So you, you, uh, for me, I build from there and then it's easier also to talk about places where, Hey, I think we could improve together in this spot or this spot. Uh, as opposed to, again, just calling and saying, Hey, you, you're messing this up and get, you got to get this done. I think it just puts too much pressure on people. And it's really difficult when you feel anxiety and, and pressure to perform for most of us. Um, we're just, we're much more likely to succeed from a place of being content and knowing that we have potential and we have a roadmap to get there. And we have people in our corner that are rooting for us and willing to teach us and coach us properly versus threaten us. So that works for me and I, I do it. A lot of people just simply don't have that, whether it's, you know, strong family ties or strong friendship ties. And it's, you know, I, I used to think as a kid, you know, I, my, what was passed down to me as a belief is that opposites attract. And then as I got what I, what I like to feel like at least a little bit smarter, I realized, oh, that's not true at all. That's just something that super, you know, toxic, poor emotional management brings is a, a feeling of I'm so different than that person and or that. And it really is. I, I believe now it's more like attracts like. Yeah. I mean, I think opposites can attract. It's interesting. I just, I've, I've lived long enough to feel like, um, Everything can attract everything <laughs> under the right circumstance. Okay, and uh, I'm offended. We disagree. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not, I'm not sure that there's a totally. Uh, yeah, no, I totally get it. There's there's not a place where um, there's not a mold that everything is everyone's going to follow or, or fall under. Um, so, and I'm okay with that too. I kind of like it. I kind of like the challenge of you know, what causes one person to be motivated is not what causes another person and kind of digging in and figuring that, that out with people and helping them. Um, it's, it's a bit of leadership challenge. You know, if everyone was just going to go out and succeed at the highest level they could, you wouldn't need leadership. You wouldn't need anyone coaching or teaching. So I only have work because we're human beings and we are trying to access the best parts of ourselves. And, and, uh, I don't always get it right, but, um, I do find that um, that's a part of kind of what makes it all fun is figuring that out and doing the best that we all can. And, and obviously, there's nothing more satisfying than when you coach and teach people and they go out and become very successful with that kind of stuff. It's, uh, it's super good stuff. And uh, that's kind of why I keep doing it because I see it a lot. The last couple of years have been uh, interesting, to say the least. And, yeah. and so many people have had quite a year like, yeah. Uh, many different experiences. Some people found it to be some of the best times of their life in terms of areas they've been able to grow in. Some people, you know, it's been sort of the opposite and 
however somebody feels about the political status or, or, you know, about a virus, you know, there's so many different opinions. All of us have become incredibly strong medical experts in the last year or two, which is fascinating. But has there been anything or, or even a few things that have emerged for you that are maybe new or that you were able to to double down and, and really expand on over the last couple of years? Well, first of all, I would say COVID sucks, and I want to be on record as letting everyone know that I have decided not to cut my hair again until COVID is off the earth or Jesus walks the earth. So I'm going to say that on camera. Uh, so I haven't cut my hair for six months now. That's the way this is going to be. And uh, yeah, it's been a very interesting two years. Um, it has made people crazy, and it's, um, the problem with it is, is what you said earlier, Instead of treating it like a real health issue, we turned it into a political football. There's nothing that's been more divisive in our communities than politics in the last two years, or maybe a little longer than that. And I've never seen more hatred amongst ourselves than I I have noticed in the last few years when you discuss politics. So now, again, we can't even have a discussion about how to fix it or what to do or what's best because everyone comes from the side of what's the motive. And uh, why would you tell me to do that? What's your real motive? There must be some conspiracy theory here. There must be something else going on. You wouldn't say that. And it's made everyone crazy. And so it's another sad part of where we are as a society that we actually can't address real topics and have conversation. And by the way, I mean, it's so interesting to me that you have people on both sides of the argument of COVID and vaccinations, and they've all got their experts or scientists, and the ones on one side say, your scientists aren't real scientists or real doctors, and the other ones say, yours aren't real scientists or real doctors, and the people who are saying it are regular people like you and me, as if we have any idea, right? You know how I got it? I read it on Facebook, so I am a professional now. It's driving me nuts. Um, I just hope it goes away soon. That's all I want to say about it, and I hope that people uh, don't let it Get in your head because you have to exist. You cannot shut your life down because of it. doesn't matter what comes next. We can't do that either. We have to live. We have to take care of our families. We have to live the best life we can. And whatever the rules and regulations are, we have to follow those. But we have to make sure and produce as human beings because if we don't, then emotionally we get destroyed. So if it's taught me anything, it's taught me a little bit about the resilience of people And I love that about human beings. You know, you read all these crazy stories like Into Thin Air and, you know, Into the Void and all the stuff where they've climbed all these crazy mountains, had broken bones and and done amazing things as human beings that I know I would be dead if I tried to do those things. But it's because the nature of human beings is really, it's uh, superhuman. And uh, I'm hoping that people come out of this uh, stronger. Um, I've had COVID three times. It sucked all three times. I don't know if I'll get it again. I have an opinion that I hate it. And I, uh, I hope we don't learn someday that it's man-made. I hope we don't learn someday that it really is political, that people did do it uh, for political gain. That would be crazy. But I also feel like with the way our political environment is, I mean, nothing, I wouldn't put anything past the government anymore. They seem to be able to pull off whatever they want in a, in a crazy way. And that would be crazy. I mean, that's even crazy to say it out loud. So I hope we didn't have that happen. But I'm telling you, there's going to be something next and something after that and something after that. And uh, what you have to figure out how to do is function as a good human being during those times, live your best life anyway, 
and follow the rules so that um, we can treat each other in the best way we can and come out of this being stronger. And that's what I hope it does for all of us because we have proven we're resilient. Even think about businesses, man. They are resilient because they've had times where they had to get shut down completely. You know how a business owner is. If you say to them, hey, go home, you can no longer do business. Okay, well, how do I feed my family? What am I going to do? And there were times when there wasn't anything they could do, but quickly they learned, I'm going to fight. I've got to figure out how to do business. So think about it. I mean, restaurants doing more volume now than they did before because they no longer are held to the constraints of, I only have 60 seats in my place. I have those 60 seats plus 2,000 people close every night that I can deliver food to. Now I make 10 times what I used to make. And that's just one example. So we've learned a lot about how to do business from home, right? Um, We've learned that you don't have to be in the office to be successful. Many companies have. And also we've learned human interaction is pretty cool. It sucks to be quarantined and in a closet your whole life and have no one that you can hug, spend time with, say hello to. Those things are all part of what we have to have in the future, and I hope uh, I hope it gets back to normal. But I'm not cutting my hair till it is. <laughs> you might end up looking like Jesus. Like, I might at that rate. So you, I mean, we're naturally drawn to. You mentioned conspiracy theories. We're, we're drawn to that as people, you know, in a sense, and it depends on on how someone's you know thinking is. But because if we can't explain something, it's easy to to find a reason, a justification, and so we're drawn to those. And then the 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 actual insane part of that is and, and anytime I even start to talk about a couple of things that, you know, in the sixties or, or even the seventies back then that are true, that you can go on CIA.gov and you can read the government saying, Hey, we're sorry for this. Like we, they made a formal apology and you try to have a conversation with somebody about there's just there's no way we did that. Or they just shut down and change the subject. And it's like the Tuskegee experiments are a really good example where we took a, a group of, and the government did this, took a group of people and injected them with syphilis, told them they were getting free health care, and then just studied them. And it was all, you know, African-American uh, black people over this period of time. And, I mean, that's a, that's a horrible... Ridiculous atrocity. And uh, yeah, our government hasn't always been very good and they've made some pretty bad choices at times. But why would a person say that didn't happen since it's documented, recorded? Um, Because if they admit to that, then that could mean there's something going on right now. And in order to keep a narrative that's opinion based, you have to kind of cut out of those things in your life where there's possibilities that what I believe is wrong, what I've been told is wrong. What I'm reading online and seeing in the news could be wrong. I don't want to face that. So those old things are not correct, even though it's written, written down. It's, it's crazy. And I get it because I was a zero conspiracy theorist like, uh, I don't believe any of that crap. Our government just wouldn't do that. And I still, I'd like to believe they have everyone's best interest in mind. They are human beings. They have families. You know, when a, when a person has children, they do have a certain amount of goodness in them because they have to teach these kids. I guess that could be true that there are people with children who are just total, not any goodness in them. But for the most part, right, they have families, people want to be around them, they have friends, so they, they do have that ability. And I just don't believe, again, that any person is ever born going, I don't want friends, I don't want any contacts, I don't want to be around people, I want everyone to hate me, and I want to be crappy to everyone in life. So these are people that are in there making these decisions. And most of the time, they're pretty convicted about what they think, right or wrong. But I don't know what to think anymore about what's really true or not, because I see so much of that in terms of what you're saying. And it really has opened the possibility that 
sometimes I wonder if people in power do not have our best interest at minds, that they have only theirs, and that the power that they feel is so much more important than anyone, and that they're willing to sacrifice any number of human lives to stay in that power, to have the riches they have, and that they justify it by saying, if I'm in power, at least what I need is going to happen, and I know what I need is better for society, so therefore any collateral damage is okay. Sounds pretty conspiracy theorist, but I just said that. But I think it could be true. It does. It sounds like it could be true, and I feel like it could be more so true today than, than I would have said 15 or 20 years ago where I would have just laughed some of that stuff off. And yeah, we have a lot of history that's written down that we were pretty shitty to each other, and that's too bad because it does mean that human beings left unchecked, human beings who uh, kind of are left to the natural man side of things, they're not always good decision makers at all. Yeah, you've seen me, uh, you mentioned, you know, you think everybody should follow the guidelines and follow the rules. And, and you've also seen just driving around with me, you know, if it says no parking till six o'clock, and it's 555, I'm I'm not parking there. I am, uh, when it comes to rules and guidelines, I do my best. I know that they're for a reason. And, and uh, I, I try my best. Now, yeah, you know, living in California the last couple of years and having, you know, over the course of 2020 visiting places like Wyoming and Texas and, and Utah and just seeing the difference in guidelines and rules, it was really hard for me to wrap my head around where did those come from? Why is it, why does it make sense over here? Or even the simple fact of walking into a restaurant, hey, you have to wear your mask until you sit down with your group of people I mean, they just, and now we have things emerging from Johns Hopkins, all these places that say, hey, all those crazy rules and regulations and guidelines, they were kind of baloney. It didn't matter. It was 50-50 down the middle, whether you were, you know, more more restricted or not more restricted in terms of actual, you know, COVID. But the what you talked about with mental health, like we need to hug each other, love each other, look each other in the eyes, you know, the, the detriments of following those rules and guidelines from that perspective had a lot of harm. So, I mean, how do you know when and when not to, you know, quote unquote, obey something? So first of all, it was 555. We couldn't park there till six. And parking is different than what they call standing, which means you park in your car and stay in it, I believe. So we were actually okay. So just so you know, (laughs) I know uh, that was classic uh, that you wouldn't, you wouldn't stay there for five minutes, but Hey, you know what? I get it. Cause you don't want to get towed. So yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say. Um, when I say following the rules, I still think we have to be good humans. And regardless of how we personally feel, when something comes down, it says this is the guideline for it. And especially maybe we're talking maybe pandemic right now. Um, I didn't love any of it, but I still feel like, you know, following the rules as much as you can is going to be important. And if you try to apply common sense, you're going to go insane. Anything that has to do with our government and rules and regulations, for the most part, drives you nuts when you apply common sense. Because just what you said, how is common sense? I need to wear the mask from the second I walk into a restaurant, but when I sit down in a crowded room, I can take the mask off. It doesn't make sense. And if you try to figure that out, then it's just going to make you nuts. And you're going to get angry. Then you're going to get mad. Um, and then you're going to watch other people who make those rules not follow those guidelines. Um, so I don't know. It all comes back to, you know, are they doing it just to see how controlling they can be? Or is it really for our health? And that's why I'm sad that it became a political football, because we don't know. 
We can't know the truth if things become politically motivated because power overtakes all of that. And now nobody cares about what's right and wrong. They just care about staying in power. So I don't know why they did it. I don't know what else we'll see. Um, But I do believe for the good of society, when they have a rule that you should try your best to follow it. Um, But not for a second do I believe they have my best interest at mind. Yeah, it's all the divisiveness, the different opinions, the disagreement. I'll tell you, it sure does make dating. Oh, yeah. Pretty rough. It does. (laughs) (laughs) But it, I mean, it also... I've found it to be, uh, I love the concept of anything that's a gift can also be a curse. And so the, you know, the gift of not spending a lot of time with someone that's going to have such a strong difference. I mean, you can really figure out how reasonable somebody is if you bring up COVID or politics on the first date. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, how have you found it in terms of, uh, sadly, I have some friends, too, like with family that, you know, seen it tear apart actual family members, you know, friends that were uh, new uncles or new aunts and just having a difference of, of opinion on the vaccination and not getting to see their their niece or nephew or whatever, things like that. Yeah, I find it tremendously sad. I don't, I have no concept of why family members are so hung up at being right uh, that they would they would sacrifice relationships inside the family. This is another one of those things. It's okay for you to have an opinion that's different than mine. And we can sit across the dinner table and we can talk about those opinions. We don't have to get heated about it. We don't have to go crazy over it. We can have a debate. But social media and politicians have taught us we no longer can debate. We immediately need to hate. And anyone, including your family member, is the enemy if they don't believe the way you believe, it's insane. That's just stupid. It shouldn't be happening out there. And I'm telling you that any person who lets that happen in their life, they're shallow. Because if it's more important to you to have your opinion be uh, regarded as the opinion by your family member, then actually love that family member. You have problems. And that's not a good way to live your life. I mean, it's so short. These are the people that you should love the most. You don't have to always agree with them. Just like you said, opposites attract, and you can have an opposite opinion, even politically. You know, my father and mother have been married for over 55 years, and one's a Democrat and one's a Republican, and they always tease each other how they go down and cancel each other's vote out every (laughs) single year of their life. And uh, they've made it work because they don't come from a place, first, of political motivation in terms of their opinions. They're not looking to... Uh, I'm, I guess in some ways we, we do try to persuade people to think the way that we think I mean, in a, in a debate, but not to the point where if we don't, then I have to hate you. So I don't know exactly how to fix it. I'm just going to tell you that dating these days and apps, the way it works, you know, versus how it was when I was a young person, it's a shit show. And it is very difficult to navigate life when there is no human interaction, when you're doing it all from an online basis, and especially because of the way society has taught people in the last 10 or 15 years about how their opinion is more important than their relationships. It's dumb. So anyway, um, now, if your opinion is to be cruel to people, then yeah, you should be you know smacked. That's not correct. But we're not talking about that. We're not talking about, I have an opinion that I should go out and be 
you know, take away other people's free agency and treat them terrible and lock them in a, a cellar. And because I feel like that's a good idea, I should be able to do it. I'm not talking about that. That's not at all. That's ridiculous. We're talking about just regular life that we can't even live together anymore because we're so damn offended <laughs> about everything. Now, a guy like you, I, I almost, I'm not sure if I heard this right, but you start talking about dating and apps. It, it almost sounds like you have some some personal knowledge there. And that's, I mean, I'm looking at a, a guy over here who's just full of love and caring and a super great career, 54 years old, in great shape, can hike 14,000 foot peaks. And what would he be doing out there dating? He's got to be tied up or something. Yeah, it's a fair question. And uh, I wonder that myself. So, yeah, I, I had a really amazing 32-year marriage, and it was incredible. And the person that I was with is uh, still today one of my very best friends, but in the end, we just couldn't make it work. And so about six months ago, we raised seven kids together, and it was an incredible experience. She's an incredibly good human being, but um, it just wasn't right for us at this point to move forward together. So yeah, I'm out there dating, and um, I'm not in love with it. <laughs> I, uh, I haven't figured it out yet. I'm still tripping over myself and haven't dated someone in 30 plus years. And, um, I'm pretty sure I'm not doing it right, but I'm kind of wading through the process and, and it is a little more difficult today. There's, uh, just because it is kind of app driven and, uh, you know, swiping right and swiping left consumes so much of your time thinking, you know, is anyone ever going to like me again? We'll see how this goes. Um, but I'm sure I'll, I'll, <laughs> I hope I'll figure it out eventually. <laughs> Uh, what I'm really waiting for is just for someone I know to set me up with someone who's beautiful and super rich. So mm. then I can just retire <laughs> and live an amazing life with that person traveling the world and never worry about anything again. So let me know if you find that person anytime soon. I'll keep working on it. I'm Thank sure you. all we have to do is walk around my neighborhood here. And, <laughs> and we'll find that. Right in your demographics. Well, why, we do, why are we in here? Let's get out there walking around. You are so right. Well, it's... Uh, even hearing you speak about the relationship is a testament to the kind of person you are. I mean, I've seen people uh, years after a divorce or a breakup or anything carry so much animosity, and you are just a very kind person to, you know, look at it like that and, and speak words of love and. You know, it's a really, it's a very special thing in today's world. Well, maybe, maybe it is, but um. You know, I, I will I will say I'm I'm not just saying that um, it was an incredible experience. She was an incredibly good human being, still is, and uh, I loved every second of it. I was super sad that it ended. I was super sad we couldn't figure out how to overcome our differences, um, and I think I'm a little lucky that way. But I'm not trying to be Pollyanna about it. Um, you know, I guess I I could be bitter and and hate filled, but. Uh, I'm too consumed with loneliness to spend time worrying about that. <laughs> How's that? No, but seriously, she, she's incredible. And I know um, she was a super good mom, a super good best friend, super good uh, you know, spouse, and we did a lot of amazing things together. So uh, who knows what the future holds. But I know that, again, it's just, it just doesn't do any good to be bitter and to have a lot of hate in your life and and so uh, I hope that um, I know I know most people who somehow get divorced probably do that because things dissolve to a point of of not liking each other, and that just wasn't the case for us at all. So I'm pretty fortunate that way too. And and um, it is a little bit about how I kind of I live my life in general and my mantra in general uh, that I just don't have that gene for 
animosity and hatred. So, and I'm, I don't know, maybe, maybe there are some people I should give a little more effort towards not liking, but I just find it just takes up time that I don't want or have anymore. So there's two things that, that take the most energy and that's anger and, and digestion. So mm. now oftentimes it's easy for us as people, we're, we're trained from a very young age to look at what's different, but finding things that are the same or finding patterns or similarities is, is much more challenging, especially when we're emotionally tied to something. And so you know, it's, it's my belief that, uh, uh, and there's going to be people obviously disagree, but it's just the dynamic where, you know, a male-female relationship is very different than a male-male relationship in general. And, and let's say, we'll just call it a romantic relationship versus a platonic relationship, right? So have there ever been, uh, you know, male friends that you have just met and latched onto and had that just close bond that just... You know, it was almost instant or over a short period of time. Yeah, many, 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 many. <clears throat> In fact, uh, you know, I, like I mentioned, I still have really close friends from high school. Um, my best man at my wedding was a high school friend. I, I talk to these guys on a regular basis till today. People from the Cutco world, I'm super close to them and instantly attached as a result of the fact that they were the kind of men that they are. The same thing in best version media as well now. Um, and I, I don't know, um, that there's anything I'm doing differently than someone else, but, um, I just really, when I recognize kind of a person that would be good for my life, I just don't let them out of it. And I cultivate that relationship hard and I work hard to stay engaged and in touch in a way that, um, that I'm going to be able to have that experience and I'm never a douche. So that helps because I don't chase them away. Yeah, you invite him over for burnt turkey. (laughs) I do. uh, Yeah, it's delicious. Do you think that, I want actually want to hear the turkey story, but uh, but one more question first real quick, and that is, do you think it's, it sounds like none of these, I'm I'm guessing none of these were from an app where you went, hey, uh, some new guy buddies to go hunting with on the hunting apps, white left, white right. So do you, this seems like they probably occurred when you were doing things you enjoyed or loved or just sort sort of naturally. Um, with your experience with with dating now, do you see that being possible on a, on the romantic side? Yeah, maybe, but not not so much because society now has gotten to a point where the apps are how you find people, and uh, kind of our interaction personally, especially during COVID, when you can't go out and go to a restaurant or or whatnot, it's made it kind of difficult. So I'm not saying you can't, but you know, really being set up with someone, finding someone through acquaintance is really still a good way to do that. And, um, you know, it's hard. You don't want to just call everyone and say, hey, divorced, ready to meet people. I just want to be on your radar so you can watch out for me. You don't really do that. And at the same time, you know, the apps are kind of where people are now that are looking. And um, so I think it's probably possible to do what you're saying to meet them uh, from work or from church or from uh, you know, a, a, uh, an activity you go to. Uh, so those are all still in the mix, but most of them as well, if they're really looking to date are kind of on these, this app driven stuff and it's swiping left, swiping right. And it's just not my favorite world to be in. It's just so difficult to figure that out and navigate through it. And, um, and to be quite honest with you, I would imagine that women get pretty sick of it pretty fast because you have so many guys swiping that they would like to talk to them. They're probably overwhelmed. So what it means is that I, you know, at my 
uh, you know, at where I am at stage in life, I'm one of the 50 guys a day that they got swiped and they're, you know, getting sick of it and ad nauseum going through this process where for me, I, you know, and on the other side, I just don't, you don't have a lot of people swiping. So, you know, it's, um, I just don't, I don't love it. So I, I, I kind of got off track there a little bit, but I don't even really know what to say about the whole world. It's not my favorite. And to be fair, you know, last time I dated, I was 20. So lots changed in the last 35 years. And uh, the way you dated and why you dated when you were 20 is different than when you're 54. And uh, what you were looking for then is different. And, and so um, it just has a whole new dynamic that um, I think makes some of it easier and a lot of it more complicated. So I'm mostly um, doing seances and hoping that it works out. <laughs> ah, well, there's some good moonlight out here. <laughs> Excellent. I will, I will tell you, I, I happen to know some people that know you. So the word on the street is there are a lot of people going, Kevin's such a great guy. And uh, so I imagine that at the right time, in the right place, uh, it's, there's a lot of people that would like a Kevin Orton in their life. Um, Hopefully that's true. We'll see. Only time can tell. So one of my first times I, I met you outside of business or got to spend some time with you was at a Thanksgiving. Any ch- I would love to hear the turkey story uh, from your perspective. It's <laughs> one of my favorite stories to tell. It is, of course, my favorite picture on all of my dating apps. I have me and this turkey, which is uh, jet black from uh, being burnt to a crisp. So I just decided to try cooking a turkey in the vat of uh, smoldering hot uh, liquid and, um, you know, as opposed to baking one in the, in the oven. And, um, so what happened in reality is that I learned that before you cook the turkey, if you want, you can take Twinkies, put them on like a hot dog stick and then batter them and then deep fry those Twinkies first. So I thought, well, you want to do that first. Okay. So I did that because who doesn't want a deep fried, you know, Twinkie that's battered. They're already delicious enough, but now they must be doubly delicious. When I did that, a lot of the batter stayed inside the tank and I didn't change the oil. So now when you put the turkey in there, somehow the that stuff getting burnt to a crisp in the next 20 minutes caused the turkey just to go completely crispy jet black. And I didn't have it in there an overly amount of time. It was actually the right amount of time. I've done a whole bunch since then, and they all were perfect. So this is the only element that I think is different. So, of course, when you pull that out, and, um, you know, I didn't really know much about, oh, I guess it looks black, but I'm not sure, and you're supposed to wrap it in tinfoil so it stays cooking on the inside. So I wrap it in tinfoil, and I bring it up. Of course, the family's there, and they're ready for the great reveal. So when I unwrap that, and the turkey is just, looks like it's been smoldered in a, uh, you know, a bunch of ashes... Well, it was a lot of comedy going on. And then what was amazing was when you tore pieces of that turkey away, yeah, the outside was really burnt to a crisp, but the inside was delicious. It was so good. So the story actually has a happy ending. We ate the whole dang thing except for the skin. Yeah, it was uh, it was delicious. It's one of my, when I think about you and your nature as a person, I remember watching you pull that turkey out. <laughs> yeah. It's burnt black and not, not knowing that it was going to be juicy, at least that was my impression, and I, I just think so many people, you know, if they were cooking the Thanksgiving turkey, pulled it, pulled it out, and it's just this fried charcoal color 
would start to, you know, complain or get frustrated or go, oh my gosh, I ruined the turkey, freak out. And you were smiling, laughing, and you couldn't wait to wrap it. And even the whole time we were carrying the turkey in, you were just, because not everybody had seen it yet, just telling everybody, oh, it's, this is the best turkey in the world. This is the greatest turkey you're ever going to taste in your life. Right up to the point where you uh, pulled, unveiled it. Yeah, pulled it off. And then everybody just goes, what is that? It's, you know, it's gross. Ah, that's going to be awful. And you're like, you just wait. You just wait. And, and if my memory serves me correct, I hope I'm not, uh, you know, adding extra details to it. But if I remember when you cut that thing open and actually skirt, squirted juice out onto you, it was that juicy that you were... It was. Yeah. You were, it, was, it was a contest, actually. So my <laughs> wife at the time and I were having a contest. She was baking one. I was doing this. And so to be fair... I was hamming it up because I wanted everyone to feel like I still had a chance to win the contest. And I didn't want to uh, automatically have them discount it by the look. So I was kind of playing towards that uh, emotion. But man, it was amazing. Um, you know, because you do have to inject those things before you cook them with some kind of, uh, of um, you know, something that will uh, uh, make them taste better so they don't get dry on the inside. And I, for whatever reason, can't think of the word of this particular kind of Cajun style or whatever you want to do. And so, yeah, it was really, really moist and really good. So for those of you who may not have tried this yet, of course, don't burn your house down. You've got to make sure that turkey doesn't have a single bit of ice in it because it will cause some real problems. You've seen the videos on YouTube, so be careful. But it was delicious. And so now we cook two turkeys, you know, or we have cooked two turkeys on a yearly basis in the past, and it's always been kind of fun. And everyone always talks about that day uh, in our family and how crazy it was, and it uh I won the turkey contest, even though it was so good. You got com. It was all the extra points for the comedy and the <laughs> yeah. theatrics. And I, I actually use that story sometimes working with people um, from a sense of you don't really know until you get into something. You know, it can look one way. It can, you know, seem something is, is burnt and destroyed. And the only way to really go find out is to, you know, take it to the finish line and, uh, I've, I've found that personally, you know, variations of that to be very powerful. Yeah, and but that's what's great about you, right? You do that in everything. And that's why you peel away the layers and and uh, and get maximum effort and exposure and learning from things. Um, where maybe some people might have thought, you know, to pull it out of that and throw it in the trash immediately, that would have been sad because it was so good. They just didn't have any idea because it did look pretty bad on the outside. Super good. Well, I know we've been sitting here for a while, and uh, it's a lot of talking, a lot of thinking, and I appreciate you, you know, sitting here and sharing this time with me. Is there anything else you just feel compelled that you want to talk about? Or, you know, I don't have anything I'm compelled to talk about. Um, I I've enjoyed this. I've never done a podcast before, and of course, doing it with my son is uh, kind of a treat. So it's uh, it's been good. I appreciate it. I know it's probably just going to go right to the hamper, and you'll never use it, which is. No big deal. You don't have to worry about that. I won't be offended, but I appreciate it. It's been good. Might be, might be the most popular one yet. You never know. <laughs> I, I don't think so. <laughs> Thank you. You bet. Ta-da. There you go. That's it. How long was that? I, that was... Time? I did not. Um, it's 3.05, so... Hungry? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, we were... Gonna-